Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer. And I'm Maria. And we are so excited for today's guest. We have Travis Hawley, who, when I say his name, it brings out my New Jersey accent. So apologies, <laughs> Travis, and everyone listening. <laughs> he is the director of media at Blue Voyant. And we are so excited to have him on today because he's going to tell us how to make all of our B2B cybersecurity marketing, not freaking boring, especially our media. Travis, thank you for being on today. Hey, thanks for having me. Hopefully I can meet your expectations. The whole name thing, don't worry. A lot of people say Travis Howley. I guess I'm a wolf. I do have these canine teeth that everyone seems to point out. So maybe I am part wolf. So <laughs> however you say it is fine with me. Awesome. I think wolves are in. There was a bunch of shows about them, weren't they? Like Teen Wolf and like... They're in for women, that's for sure. <laughs> Before we start, Travis, you have a really interesting background, supremely interesting. Can you tell us about your story, how you got here, and like how you ended up doing B2B cybersecurity marketing at the end of it? Yeah, super unexpected. And I really didn't even intend to get into marketing in general. So my career actually started in the Air Force in 2007. I worked in intelligence, actually. I was active duty Air Force working at the NSA, National Security Agency. And a lot of people who do work in cybersecurity marketing or cybersecurity in general now have a lot of people from the intelligence community. So you'll see how it comes full circle. But that was my background actually in the military is working in intelligence. And after I got out of the military, at least on active duty, believe it or not, I actually just started, this was around 2011 and 12, mostly 2012, I started making meme pages on Facebook back then. And long story short, with the meme pages, I actually had some success with those pages, relative success for that time, especially on Instagram. And I actually used and leveraged my meme page success to get myself in the door in marketing. And my first marketing job actually was at a company named Machine Zone, which is a very famous mobile gaming company in Palo Alto. We actually took over Facebook's quarters at the time. So I joined that company in 2014. That's how I got my start in marketing was on the B2C side, the consumer side for a massive global gaming company, huge success. I ran all of their social media, all their community management and their influencer marketing. And I worked with my friend Heather on all the celebrity and athlete marketing too. So that company definitely launched my career. I went from a, a nobody knowing not much about formal marketing experience to doing global campaigns with celebrities, athletes, influencers, running all of their community management and social media too. So that just, that launched my career there, really an immersion course into marketing at scale. 
And from there, I ended up moving to an influencer marketing agency named Viral Nation. Now they're quite large as well. So again, B2C, working with all the big brands you can imagine, gaming companies, food companies, clothing companies, what have you, developing influencer marketing campaigns for those companies. I actually went back into the Air Force full-time, became an intelligence officer the last two years, so took a break from marketing. And then all that experience from the intelligence military side and the consumer marketing side, I found myself at Blue Voyant. Interesting kind of position where, of course, in cybersecurity, they really appreciate people with intelligence backgrounds and technical backgrounds. But then I also have a parallel career in social media marketing. So that's the long story short of how I've used these two parallel careers to find myself in cybersecurity marketing somehow. It's so cool. It's such a cool story. And I think rare gem, right? I think in cybersecurity marketing, we try to find people that have the skills or at least experience in different things, especially in startup. You need to wear a lot of hats. You need to come in and do the social, know a little bit of email, know a little bit of product marketing and do demand gen. And so seeing this nice combination of experience in your story, it's so cool. I can't wait to dive into what you're doing with it now in cybersecurity marketing. Travis, to set the stage for the listeners, what does Blue Voyant do and what stage is the company at? So actually what's interesting about Blue Voyant is it's very much, in many ways, it's kind of a conglomerate of different types of cybersecurity marketing companies that have been fused together into one platform. So we have managed detection and response. We have digital risk protection. We have third-party protection services as well. We have professional services. So we really have kind of these four services and product lines together that are ultimately working in concert as one central platform to provide cybersecurity services to all types of organizations and businesses, no matter their size and industry. Of course, like anyone, focus on financial services and hospitals and government. Those are the bread and butter for cybersecurity. So yeah, we do a multitude of different things, which is both amazing and also as a marketer, it can be a little challenging because each one of our services could is and could be a business of itself. And it really is internally, but also isn't because it's one centralized platform now called Elements. So that's what's really interesting about Blue Voyant is I didn't just move to a company that we focus on one thing. That actually would be easier, but that's not the reality. So it's also challenging for me as a cybersecurity newbie, because yes, I come from an intelligence background and there's definitely some crossover with, with cyber in that, but I'm not a cybersecurity industry veteran at all. So I think there's pros and cons to that, but what I'm trying to do is bring my unique background to Blue Voyant and to cybersecurity industry in general. But I also think cybersecurity is really blowing up and expanding right now. So it's really interesting because most people you talk to don't come from a cybersecurity background. A lot of people are just getting into it. So it's been both challenging and fun so far in my first six, seven months working in a cybersecurity company. Because you have this very interesting role too, you're the director of media. So what do you cover as the director of media? My primary focus is on our global social media efforts and what I'm calling unofficially is like emerging media. So actually, if you were to look at Blue Point social media right now, it wouldn't really represent what we're about to do. We're about to launch a lot of new media and 
I can get into that maybe after this kind of segment here. But up until this point, it's been focused on social media. So growing our social media, developing content that's actually educational, entertaining, sticky, valuable, just really developing that infrastructure and the scaffolding to scale our social media as we become more and more of a global brand. But yeah, the focus in the coming weeks and months is going to be actually more on emerging media, not moving away per se, but focusing on more engaging type of content in the video realm rather than just focusing on traditional media, which in the B2B space is very much around white papers and blogs and reports, which are incredibly valuable, but they aren't exactly designed or as effective on social media as people would like to believe they are. I think a lot of us in cybersecurity marketing are trying to figure out how do we get out of that usual B2B box of social media and how do we do more? One of the struggles I've personally had and probably a lot of people too, is that doing other types of media can cost money. And sometimes you don't have the budget or sometimes you don't have the internal resources and the skill set, particularly like video or even other types. Curious what kind of advice you have for those starting off with nothing and want to do more emerging media. (laughs) That's the story of my life. That's the story of all our lives. Anyone working specifically in social media, too. I think social media managers have it arguably the hardest Because still to this day, especially on the B2B side, again, I'm not speaking from maybe the company I'm in now necessarily, but most companies don't understand the value of social media and even video and stuff as much. So there's a huge educational process, which is quite frustrating, just to be frank with you, that you have to go through and you need to prove it out with metrics. For example, with video, let's say showing them the increase in views, impressions, reach, whatever metric you want to use, maybe top funnel initially to show, look, when we post videos, we reach a lot more people organically than we do when we post other types of media. So clearly that's some value. We're reaching more people. It's a greater ROI than other types of media. And then also things with video, even on LinkedIn now, which is really cool on LinkedIn, which is the bread and butter generally of cybersecurity marketing, also Twitter, you can see now minutes watched. So that's a metric I'm using internally to show, hey, look, people are watching literally hours of our video clips. We'll have a video clip that's 30 seconds long. And some of them have 800 minutes of watch time. And I'm showing people, I'm like, people are literally watching our videos for hours. Can we prove that people are looking at our other content for hours? No. Maybe sometimes on the website, you can look at the on-page time and stuff too. But getting people to click is a catastrophe nowadays. So that's another metric you use to prove the value of video. So the education process, using metrics, proving things with data is, of course, one way to do that. To start showing a proof of concept, minimal viable product type of approach to start earning some trust and some support internally. I think that's the main way as a marketer, you can start turning the tide on getting that support you need. But I'll be honest with you, even with that, it doesn't always work. So it's a struggle. And I'm not going to stand here and pretend like I have all the resources that I need and want on in any company that I've worked in, regardless of cybersecurity, it's a struggle. Yeah. Thank God for Canva. For those of us who can't get (laughs) internal buy-in or budget, you figure it out on Canva a little bit and use what you got. Yeah, absolutely. 
So in terms of what you are doing, obviously Blue Voyant values social media and media and new media, like you were saying, Travis, in terms of what you're doing now, what are some things are you doing to make the media that you're producing more interesting, less boring, less stuffy B2B? And you said four things and I forgot all of them, but you said four things. It was like sticky, interesting. Do you have a criteria? Like, how do you do this to make it make, how do you even just make stuff less boring? Tell us that. Give us your secrets. (laughs) I think three of the words I said was like entertaining, educational, and sticky. So to me, in most cases, all content will fall under two buckets. It's either educational or I would say utilitarian, useful, or it's entertaining. And then hopefully the best of both worlds is if you can have overlap there. And if they are educational and entertaining and there's overlap to some degree, then the content is sticky. You're going to have retention particularly with video, people are going to watch things longer and deeper into that video, depending on the length. So again, I'm trying to bring some of my successes, techniques, and approaches from the consumer side to the B2B side. And one of the ways I've been doing that just in the few months I've been at Blue Voyant is really focusing on thought leadership content. But really, how does that look? How does that feel? How does that sound? At the end of the day, to me, the way to do that is with faces and voices. So People like to put out a lot of ebooks and white papers and reports and all and blogs and press releases. We need those things. I don't want to demonize those things. Those things do have value. But we are fighting for attention in the feeds. How do you get people to stop scrolling? And I literally call this type of content scroll stopper, like a scroll stopping content. How do you get people to stop scrolling? Well, people inherently are looking for people that maybe look like them, talk like them, are interesting. So you need faces and voices, not just graphics, not just moving text. That stuff is ancillary to this. So our focus has been on putting out content every single day that literally is a screenshot, if it's an image or it's a video of someone talking. It's their face or it's an image of their face, video, like I said, it it doesn't really matter that much, but it's better if it's video, of course. We need people to see themselves and they need to see people they recognize. So even internally with the company, the employees in our own company are much more likely to engage with our own content, which is another topic we should cover at some point is like the social advocacy. If they see someone they know, so that's the hack is like getting employees involved in the content with their likeness. Some people aren't comfortable maybe with their face on video or images. That's okay. We can find people who are comfortable or we can slowly try to make people more comfortable with being in front of a camera. Or if not, can we get their voice? Can we have a podcast like we're doing now or a discussion and we just extract the audio? We'll just extract the audio and then make a post that just uses the audio of that discussion. So we're doing all of these things at Blue Voyant and it's been working incredibly. You get so much more engagement when there's people involved in the content. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you think about B2B, much more than B2C, is it's very sales-oriented, or as Maria had said, is demand gen. Okay, so who do people buy from? They buy from people. They don't buy from websites. They don't buy from eBooks and all the white papers and all these things. Those things help the sales process, absolutely. But at the end of the day, the sales cycle ends 
when someone is in a meeting with somebody, they're sitting face to face, especially with high ticket type of services, or they're on a Zoom or whatever it is, and people buy from people. So the first impression that we should make is someone's face and voice. So they understand who are the people behind this company. Can I trust them? You can trust people a lot more when you see how they talk. Like I am now, I'm passionate, I'm talking, facial expressions, I'm animated. You can hear their voice, you can hear the passion in their voice, you can hear the expertise in their voice as well. You're not getting any of that, at least in another dimension, another layer from just written, just visual content in general. So that is the big way that we've been trying to step up. And if you look at our feed now, you'll see a lot of that. But you may even be like, there's not as much as he's making it sound like. I'm trying, I promise you. And we're going to scale those efforts because we have the data now to prove that this is really, really effective in many, many ways. So that's kind of my soapbox is really the faces and voices. Getting faces and voices out there is a game changer. Oh my God, Travis, this is... I wish listeners could see my and Gianna's face (laughs) while Travis was talking. Literal amazement and so much nodding. It's so good. Travis, one thing that striked me while you were speaking is that, of course, all of us marketers say all the time, we're trying to humanize our brand. We're moving away from shields. Humanize. We're trying to humanize our brand. We're trying to, we're moving away from shields. We're moving towards the actual people. We're like doing this, doing that. It's like social media is the arena on which the humanization battle is fought, is what it truly is. Cause you could be trying to humanize your brand, but if you're not using your people, and I've often said that the best marketing is when you shine a light on the people inside of your company, the SMEs, and they can talk about the problem and they can talk about the solution and they can talk about everything. It seems like Social media is this battleground of like where it will really hash out because this is the place where everyone can see for free your stuff. Maria said the faces that we were making. We're really, we're nodding strongly along with this. I mean, it's so inherent. It's so inherent. Honestly, in general, I'm just trying to say what everyone's thinking. You may, some people might misinterpret my animation and passion and stuff or like, I don't know, being arrogant or something. It's not, I promise you, I'm just saying, I'm just willing to say what everyone else is thinking because I know it works and there's data behind it. And I'm passionate about it because there's still resistance to this stuff. And frankly, it, it upsets me. So the more people are just not afraid to just say, this is the reality. This is what we need to do. This is what works. We need to change the paradigm. I'm just willing to do that. That's awesome. You remind me a little bit, not you, but like this whole faces and voices, which I love faces and voices. Like you should definitely buy the domain name facesandvoices.com before I do later. Um, <laughs> I'm just Are you going to do domain squatting? Yeah, I'm going to do domain squatting and I'm going to charge you $3 million for it in five years when you launch the faces. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. So it reminds me a lot of like that Refine Labs, Chris Walker, like he started doing the face and with the video, with the text with the voice. So what you're saying, this approach that you do, Travis, like we tried it too at Votero. We are actively trying to get more of our people to do short form video content and then boost it on social. And we have found that this has been our most successful content on social, like by far, just in terms of what you said, people are watching full minute and 30 seconds of our guy talking essentially about a problem and then our solution. And you could see the metrics. It's amazing. Anyone who's listening, who has a little bit of budget to spend on 
paid social, try a video. Yeah. And I am seeing those actually, those video shortcuts with transcription and the title on top. I'm seeing companies use those in paid ads. So that's the actual asset for the ad, which is really cool, I think. Here's another thing. Here's another little tip that I'm also leveraging at Blue Voyant because we have limited resources, believe it or not, as well. Here's the other thing too. Sometimes maybe you can't or it's hard to find people to go on video and do conversations. Again, we're worried about our backgrounds and how we look and the audio quality, video quality, all these things. Another hack, take it, please take it, is just get their headshot and then get a quote of text. So it's a video. We have Go on Blue Voyance LinkedIn or any other social. It's a video. It's 30 seconds. But nothing's moving, okay? It's just their headshot, their text, their quote, their advice, whatever they're talking about. And maybe if you want, you can add the audio file below it. And that's just another way to be resourceful with limited type of access to talent and video production and things like that. So that's the other thing. You got to find ways around it. If you have limited resources, you have to be creative. And you may not be able to do it at the scale you want, but you can still get video out there, even if it isn't the most ideal video experience that you want. Start small, start with what you have and just start creating that account of the data of any kind of video. And you'll most likely start seeing the results of that. And then you can use that to springboard to, hey, look how our not so great videos are already doing. Can we invest a little bit more and step this up? And then just little by little, try to get the resources you need to get to that production level that you really want. Hey, Travis, that could possibly work too for those of us who don't have a lot of resources. That could possibly work for repurposing webinar content, taking snippets oh, from that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay, so take it. Everyone take the advice. I don't care. It's all free. Any webinar you're doing should be cut into 20 pieces of content. And honestly, we're not doing this at the scale I want. I'll just be honest with you guys. Limited resources. We only have a certain amount of video editors and stuff like that, but we're trying. And that is the model. If you're doing a webinar, it's an hour long. If you cannot find 20 snippets, nuggets of information, something's wrong. Pull, extract 30 to 90 second clips of the webinar. Here's the thing though if the webinar doesn't look that great, then don't use the video from the webinar. Just use the audio. Pull out that audio file, make a new video. Like I said, get their headshot in there, put the quote in text or something. It can animate or it can just be static there. And now you have the audio, so you have someone's face and their voice, but maybe you improve the webinar's image. Because sometimes we also do some webinars that are a little more casual. It's for a specific audience. It doesn't need to be all beautiful or whatever. And maybe they're going through some PowerPoint slides or something too. Maybe you don't want those all public as well. So... Anyways, that's just something to think about. All long-form content needs to be broken down into 5 to 20 micro pieces of content that, believe it or not, are probably going to do better than your macro content. I swear, that's just so good. (laughs) Maria, do you want to get into the employees and like how to leverage employees, like what Travis was saying before? Yeah, let's yeah, let's talk about employee advocacy. So we know there's tools out there that help you do that. You pre-populate a bunch of content and stuff like that. What is your advice for getting employees excited about sharing content and engaging with content that you're posting out there? And then maybe even being involved, being that go-to salesperson that's always willing to be on a webinar or on a LinkedIn Live, that sort of thing. Easy. This is how you do it. Faces and voices. People in the company 
want to celebrate other coworkers' achievements as well. The more faces and voices you have of coworkers, the more likely they are to engage with that content. For example, I work in, let's say, I don't know, I work on the MDR side of the company, manage detection and response. So guess what? I don't. I'm saying this hypothetically. You get someone from that department or team to make content. And then when you post it, that team is more likely to celebrate their own team's achievements and go comment and share it. What I've done at Blue Voyant is to enable all of the teams to uh, bring any employee to make content. Everyone is empowered to be on our social media. I don't care what your position is. You're at the company for a reason. You have expertise. You have knowledge. You have opinions, perspectives. You have outlooks. So that is how you're going to do it. You need to involve anyone and everyone that is interested in making content. Then you get their face and their voice in the content. So when you post it, and then, for example, you post when that LinkedIn post goes live, you get the link, you put it in your company Slack chat, and then you say, hey, everyone, please go support Maria's post of the week. She's doing MDR Monday or Threat Detection Thursday or whatever topical stuff you guys are doing. And everyone sees, oh, Maria is on our social media. That's pretty cool. I'm going to go engage with it. And guess what? They do because we want to support each other. But if your colleague isn't involved in that content explicitly, their face, their voice, their name, then they're less likely to do that. It's more company content. So employee advocacy starts from the ground up. Any employee needs to be empowered to create content, to co-develop content, to ideate content, and to star in the content. And that's how you get people to want to engage more is to support their own colleagues. That makes so much sense. Employee advocacy should be advocating for other employees' content. And, not, the and, con- and activity, yeah, right? not the company. Not the company. Look, can we just be honest here? We love our companies. We want to support our companies. They pay us well. They treat us well. We have careers. That's awesome. But that's a company. That's not a person. We want to support other people. And if we support other people at scale, the company will benefit from it. People generally aren't as interested in supporting company content, I promise you. But if it's Maria, my friend, I work with her every single day or I see her every single day, I'm going to like her content. I know that person. I have a rapport with that person. I do not have a rapport with the company. The company is not someone I have a relationship with, okay? So we need to stop thinking employee advocacy is supporting the company. If you want to support the company, support people, and that will support the company at scale. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at hackervalley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Okay, here's a controversial one. In the startup world, what about founders? 
that are not engaged enough out there in building the brand and selling our why and our values and our culture and why we're building this product or company. And I know a lot of cyber marketers suffer from this. What can we do? <laughs> okay. This is actually very common and I'll generalize and hopefully people will understand this. Most founders are going to be on the older side. Okay. And most founders are maybe not going to be as comfortable being a public face on LinkedIn or something like that. There's plenty that are, do not get me wrong, but there's a lot that aren't. The C-suite, they're going to do the media that the PR kind of makes them do. Maybe the CEO is going to go on the news every once in a while. That's going to happen, but they're busy and they may not even care about social media either. In their personal life, they may barely use it. Get your first impression of how you can evangelize social media to them, show the value to them, and see if you can get buy-in. But don't dwell on it. If there's too much pushback, I'm not saying be a quitter, but quit. You don't need them. You do not need them. It would be way better if we had them. Honestly, it'd be way better. They're the leaders of the company, and they have the most knowledge and on the vision and on the services and things like that. But you don't need them. Let's just be honest. You don't. You can find other influencers within the company, other SMEs in the company, other people who just want to advocate for services and the brand in the company. So ultimately, try your best to evangelize it, show the value, but do not force it. Because at the end of the day, we need efficiency and we need to put out content at scale. And what I found generally working with a lot of senior leaders is you can't do that unless they inherently understand the value and they are excited to do that. And if you cannot get them to that point, then find the people that are, and it doesn't matter what level of the company they're at. I promise you, I'm doing it now with Blue Point. We have people from all demographics and all hierarchies in the company making content, and it does just as effective. And now we get to do it at scale. So that's what I would say is do your best to evangelize, show the value. But at the end of the day, you don't need the senior leaders to be involved in all the content, but hopefully they are. Yeah, it's comforting to hear that it is still possible without that founder in the picture. When you said yeah. quit, I thought you meant quit the company. I thought you meant like <laughs> quit and leave. All right, uh, boss, you're not going to go on LinkedIn. Goodbye. <laughs> Okay. Another thing you can do, another thing you could try, also it depends, it's very hard to do too, is you could have some ghostwriting type of content as well from the leadership, or you could have someone to help manage their social. So there's some ways to make it easier. Because again, I'm not like trashing on senior leaders or something like that, but they're super, super busy. So unless they, like I said, unless they inherently love social media, some do, most don't, there's just no use of really just banging your head against that wall. But that's another option is to find a way to help manage their presence. And again, like anything in marketing, slowly start showing the value through metrics and you might get more buy-in over time. Travis, before you said, or prior, you said emerging media, which is fun. That's a fun phrase because it's very like future. Can you talk a little bit about what emerging media means to you? I know you already said like video, but are you also talking about things like TikTok and whatever the next platform is and yes. VR, AR. What do you think about <laughs> when you were thinking of emerging media? Yeah, absolutely. So video would be the all-encompassing generic term for that, but you hit the nail on the head. Definitely emerging platforms. So TikTok, definitely still emerging, but been out quite a few years. Getting into things like TikTok, 
podcasting you guys are doing now, though I don't think every company should just do a podcast just because everyone is doing a podcast. And I don't think every company should just be doing TikTok just because everyone's doing TikTok. You have limited resources and part of those limited resources is time. So you should focus on where you're going to get the most value for the resources you have. But emerging content, that's how I would define it, is platforms which for your brand, you have not touched, but there is opportunity. And that also maybe are trending in a way because look, we're marketers, we have to jump on trends and we have to be careful not to be distracted by trends. But if you're not smart enough, agile enough, and quick enough to jump on trends, then you're really missing opportunities because really, especially in social media, because of course my lens, my apparatus is definitely focused more on social media in general. If you're not jumping on trends, then the analogy I'm making up on the spot right now, it's like surfing. You need to catch each wave. And if you're not catching each wave, then you're definitely not going to get as far. It doesn't mean you can't succeed, but that's a big problem I see in B2B marketing is B2C. Man, it is in the DNA to jump on trends, right? So that's another kind of micro or meta point for emerging content would be these trends, whatever it is, a type of content, a network, a meme template, whatever it is, trending hashtag, whatever it is. We need to get more on that. And admittedly, I have not done that at Blue Voyant yet either. It's something it takes time to get people to get behind that because people are more stuffy and risk adverse in the B2B space, especially in cybersecurity when we're dealing with very sensitive things like wars and threat groups and nation states and government. There's so much risk adversity. It's very hard to jump on these trends in a way that generally senior leaders see as tasteful or useful, but we need to do that. Someone's got to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to try my best, but if it's not me, then hopefully it's someone listening to this. Find a way to jump on trends. That is a form of emerging media in a sense as well. And I think we're going to, we're going to do a lot better. We really need to flip the paradigm of being so risk adverse. We need to protect ourselves and be legal and be careful, but we need to find a way to be creative, to work more with emerging media, TikTok and podcast and memes and trends and GIFs and all of this type of stuff. It is in our best interest. And companies do not see this, but it is in their best interest to work with these mediums and these media types, because here's the reality that nobody wants to admit, or maybe they're just not thinking about. I, as Blue Voyant or as any other, let's say CrowdStrike, all these other big cybersecurity companies, you're not, we're not competing against each other as much as we think we are. And people are like, that doesn't make sense. In the feeds, we're not competing with each other. I promise you people deciding, oh, whether I watch this cybersecurity company's content or that one. You know who we're competing with? We're competing with the B2C companies. Their content is also in the feed. Their friends' content is in their feed. Their family's content is in the feed. Oh, and guess what? There's other apps. Oh, Netflix and Facebook and HBO Max and all this stuff. We're competing for attention in general and at scale. It's not like whose company content is better. You need to capture someone's attention, period. When you go through a feed on any social network, it is not just cybersecurity companies. It's literally anything and everything you could imagine. So when someone, when other people are posting memes and funny, interesting videos and TikToks and all this stuff, and then you're posting a white paper, what are people more likely to stop on? Even if that's that their job, they're going to go to the thing that psychologically they're pulled into, which is more entertaining, more eye-capturing. So 
we need to stop thinking that the way to capture and retain someone's attention is through old traditional legacy media. We need to start whether you like it or not, getting into the more young, hip, controversial, in some ways, types of media types, period. Travis, what about, and we didn't really touch on what this mindset, this accepting media and various different forms and being different type mindset in terms of promoting company culture. And I immediately think TikToks and people doing funny videos of life at the office and Friday night social hour and things like that. That can be also pretty impactful in terms of the company's success. Absolutely. And that's something, admittedly, too, I'm trying to do more of. And it's really hard, especially when companies now are predominantly remote. So what is our culture? What is our identity? Let's be honest. For the most part, it's how we interact on Slack and how we interact in very small pods on Zoom meetings. So what's really difficult I'm finding now is most companies are struggling to find their identity. There's an identity crisis. And how can you express your values and your culture when you don't even know what it is and when it does not have connective tissue across all departments in the company? So how are you going to make content about that when there's no agreement or any type of unanimity on what that is. So that's first and foremost. There needs to be leaders in the company. There needs to be actual explicit values and mission and engagements and events where you actually can see that so that you can even capture content that exemplifies and illustrates that. So that's step one. And I think most companies don't even have that, particularly if they're remote. Step two, I agree with you. The value of that is untold because people don't see from HR's perspective or from even a buyer's perspective, the humanization of a brand. Because it's really hard to attribute, track directly how that leads to more sales or whatever. But guess what? It's not just about sales. What about employee retention? What's the most important thing for you? Sales? Sure. It is the oxygen of the business. We need revenue. But you need talent. Talent acquisition and talent retention. You can't, cannot keep doing what you're doing and having the successes you want unless you can actually retain people. And the only way to retain people is to actually have a sense of culture and identity and shared values. Travis, let's cover company culture and what emerging media can do for not only promoting the company's brand and culture, but you mentioned talent acquisition and even possibly sales, even though it can be a really hard way to attribute that to uh, actual revenue. Yeah. So that's the thing is one of the problems we have is that most companies now don't even have an identity, especially in this remote culture. Most companies might have 95% of their company working all throughout the nation or the world. So it's like, how do we even, before we can even promote our identity and our culture and our values, those need to be established. But it's really hard when most of our interactions are on Slack or they're on pods and Zoom. So at the end of the day, how are we actually forming a company culture in this current post kind of COVID world where most companies are moving to remote. That's first and foremost is really identifying that before we can capture the content that needs to actually exist. And the thing that's important too, it needs to have some unanimity to it where people actually feel what the culture is in the same way in all aspects of the company and all departments. Where's the connective tissue between the culture? Who's doing that? Is it HR? Is it leaders and C-suite? Is it SMEs? Like who is actually 
pushing the company culture. And sometimes that's just the people who are most vocal and that could be good or bad. So that's a whole nother thing. But when it comes to the value of emerging media for company culture and stuff like that, it to me, it actually starts with talent acquisition and talent retention because sales and thus revenue is the oxygen of the brand. We need that. Let's not say that we don't, but at the end of the day, we need to get more talented people. We're competing against all the other cybersecurity companies that are trying to give the most incentives to hire the best talent out there. And we need to retain the employees we have now because whatever success level you're at now, that has been achieved through the talent you have right now. So how are you going to keep them? One of the ways is to have a really clear and powerful culture that people feel like they want to be behind this brand. They want to stick with the company. There's a lot of things, incentives and bonuses and your salary and all that stuff. But really, how do people feel? That is how you're going to retain people is if people feel like they're part of something larger. They feel like they are actually contributing to the company in a meaningful way. If you can create that type of culture, then it's really important that you capture that for talent acquisition purposes. So when you're making content, whether it's TikTok or any type of other video content, you really want to show what it's like to be at the company in an authentic way. Don't just curate some experience that's fake because this is just some sort of PR push to get talent. Show what it's really. And the reason why you want to show what it's really, because talent retention depends on it. No one wants buyer's remorse. You join a company and you saw their social media and it looked fun and amazing and they appreciate people of all backgrounds and wow, they're doing all these offsites and stuff. And then you go there and you're like, oh, this is BS. This isn't what it's really, I'm out, peace. So that's another reason why you need to be authentic because if you're authentic, then you're only going to attract the people that you really want to attract anyways. Because if you're creating this type of face of the company, you want people who to join because they like those values. They like that type of brand. So that's one of the values of defining and then developing content and posting content of your authentic culture. Nailed it, Travis. And hopefully we'll all go back to the office at some sort of way, whether it's hybrid or not, and we'll be able to interact together in a way we can create those moments that we can capture and then promote as part of culture and brand. So Travis, three or two quick things before we get to our game. One, your point about culture is so true. We just recently, I just had added a new hire to my team at Vertiro. And the reason we won against other bigger, better funded, not better, but just bigger and more funded competitors is because of our culture and because of the culture and how I shared it with the new hire. So culture is incredibly important. Point two, so there's three points. Point two, at Vertiro 2, we have a retention of talent KPI. So when you're saying retention is really important, yes, it's so important that even we have a KPI for it. The last thing we wanted to ask you, Travis, before we get to our game is about your meme pages. Were there any that, because I was around in the 2010s, 2011s and heavily online on Facebook. Are there any that I would recognize? I don't think so. I don't know. So I'll just tell you what the names of them are. So actually the, the first page I made on Facebook 2012, I actually made that page on my way to Afghanistan. I was deploying to Afghanistan and I'm in my bunk bed waiting to hit the plane in the next couple of days or something. And I don't know why, I don't know where this came from. I just saw like meme pages and stuff like that back then. And I was like, I can do better than that. I don't know why I thought that. I just thought I could do better than that, both in the curation and the creation of memes. So I made a page 
sounds silly to this day. It's called Hilarious Humor, and it's just H-A-W, like my last name, Hilarious Humor. I made a page on Facebook. That has been since rebranded many years ago, a page called Laugh and Inspire. So that page has like half a million followers or something on Facebook and Instagram. But honestly, I'll tell you the page I love the most that maybe people will recognize and marketers should follow, just selfless promotion here. It's called Introverts Are Us. Introverts are us. I have, I think, one of, or if not the first or the biggest, I don't know, introvert community in the world. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's digital. So introverts love to connect online. So introverts are us has 300 something thousand followers on Instagram, have 40,000 followers in a Facebook group. It's actually really huge and I love it. So the introverts are us one is one that you might recognize. There's what's super cool is tons of celebrities, like tons of famous people follow follow all three of my meme pages. And that's one of the coolest things is making an impact and growing communities online is probably one of my biggest talents and passions. What's really cool is just the people you get to connect to. Of course, the average people like us, but then like you start seeing celebrities and influencers and professional athletes and movie stars and singers, and they're like following your page. I even just had a famous congressperson follow me yesterday. And I was like, what the hell? This is crazy. What people don't realize is when someone follows you, you can DM them. And they're going to see it. If you if they don't follow you and you DM them, it goes to like a spam folder, a request folder. But if they follow you, you can start messaging with famous people. And I've done it. I've talked to some of the craziest famous people and I'm like, wow, this is so powerful. But of course, that's more of a vanity thing. What's most important to me is growing communities online and Introverts Are Us is my probably most famous one. And then the third meme page I have is called Jiu-Jitsu Saved My Life. I trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've been training about 10 years. So jujitsu is a big part of my life and big passion too. So all three of my pages, Laugh and Inspire, Inspiration and Humor, Introverts Are Us, Being an Introvert and Trying to Grow an Introvert Community, and Jiu-Jitsu Saved My Life. Those are my passions. So that's why I built communities around my passion. Okay. Because I knew that was missing from your intro. In my head, I was like, oh, and he does like jujitsu, I think, or like karate or something. But you didn't say it at the beginning. That was part of the crazy like adventure of Travis, how he got to cybersecurity marketing. He did jujitsu against someone who was a cybersecurity marketer. Yeah, and he, he beat the he shit out of them. other candidates out of the running. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was missing. Okay. Thank you. Because I thought I was going a little crazy there. Someone actually told me jujitsu is popular in cybersecurity. I don't know if that's true or not, but someone really? told me. I don't know. Is it because of cyber jitsu no, groups or? No, oh, okay. no, no. Actually, I, I don't know why, but honestly, something I have noticed is a lot of people who do martial arts in general and Brazilian jiu-jitsu actually tend to be introverted. And I do think disproportionately cybersecurity and cybersecurity marketers are disproportionately introverted from my vantage point. I don't have any empirical evidence on that, but I think that's true. Those are just correlations. It's not causation at all. It's causation. Also, I take offense to you calling us all average in comparison to the celebrities in your DMs. Maria, oh, you are above average and I am below average. Thank you very much. We're also celebrities. We're big yeah. celebrities. <laughs> all three of us. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Hacker Valley Media and all the great stuff they're putting out, everyone's becoming celebrities in cybersecurity. I'll tell you what. Everyone really loves and appreciates the content out there. It's So kudos to you and everyone else behind the scenes. You guys are making great stuff. So I hope you guys become celebrities. Thank you. And then we'll follow you and then you can DM us. And then we'll be like, Travis who? Brutal. <laughs> all right, let's play... Let's play our game real quick because we're getting low on time here. Travis, this is the game where we think about what you would do if you were not in cybersecurity marketing slash in the military slash doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu slash 
influencer agency stuff. So we're going to guess what your other career would be if you had to redo it over and also couldn't do any of those things. You guys are going to guess? Yeah, we're, we're going to guess. guess. And then you can tell us how miserably we failed at figuring okay. it out. No, no. Then oh, you're going to tell us, Gianna, you did great and you win another gold star and here's $10. I'm going to money thing this past Am I choosing episodes. a winner? Like, who chooses a better one or something? Yeah, you're going to choose a winner. So figure okay, out which of right. us that you like more. Right. Okay, so go. I think you would be obviously a TV personality. Does that count or is that off the... Does that not count, Maria? What do you think? I think that counts. Yeah, that That's job. You stole my idea. There's news, there's acting. Uh, <laughs> All right, your turn. Stole my idea, Gianna. Oh, You're really? no longer going first. That's it. I make that rule. I was going to say TV talk show host. Okay. Do you know what's funny about that? So I would say, yeah, you're both right in a way, but here's what's interesting and people don't believe. Again, I get so much pushback. It's crazy. People say, I don't believe you're an introvert because you're well-spoken, you're articulate, you do well on camera and stuff like this. This is a skill that I've developed. This isn't naturally who I am. And this is also only who I am when I'm talking about things I'm passionate about. If we're talking about something I wasn't passionate about or experienced about, I'd be like the most boring person ever. Trust me. People who know me know I'm actually relatively pretty quiet. So that's what some people think. What? Like you'd be a media personality or a podcast or something like that. And you think, oh, if you would want to generalize, oh, that's not something an introvert would do. Trust me, plenty of introverts are in media. They're in TV. They're movie stars. They're singers. They're all these things. The difference is when you're doing something you're passionate about, whether it's an instrument or a movie or a conversation about a specific topic, you can just really be yourself, your authentic self and be talk really passionate about things. So that's my way of saying, I definitely, I think you're both right. It could happen if it's something that I really care about and I'm passionate about, I could definitely make that happen. But if I was just plugged into something I didn't really care about, I would not want to be in media or, or TV or anything like that. That's it. We're recruiting you for the society's first ever TV show, which... <sighs> It's not here yet, but we're probably going that route. I don't know. It's about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We'll be calling you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Travis, for being on the show. Thank you for bringing your introvert self to our podcast and amping it up. Where can people find you if you're open to being connected and contacted? Yeah, especially marketers and people in cybersecurity. Just hit me up on LinkedIn. Travis Hawley. You can connect with me there. I also, if you're interested in like social media strategy and those types of things as well, I post every day on, on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. I think it's at Trav Hawley. Or if that's why if you want to connect with me professionally is LinkedIn or, Tor- or Twitter. But if you like memes, hit up Introverts R Us, Laugh and Inspire, or Jiu-Jitsu Save My Life on any channel. They're just bigger on Instagram and Facebook. So Love it. Thank you so much, Travis. Thanks for breaking Zencaster today with your passion and yeah. your insights and your advice. Yeah, my, my <laughs> we, loved, we loved every minute of it. I don't know if you heard us make the joke that we have to make at least 20 to 30 snippets from this episode or Travis is going to yell at us because it was so good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm counting on it. <laughs> macro to micro. That's it. <laughs> macro to micro, faces and voices. I've got it stuck in my head now. So if you want to be on Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, or if you have feedback for us, you want to hear us talk about a topic, you want Gianna to stop talking about money so much over the last few episodes, maybe you don't like how funny the show is, why don't you send an email to podcasts within us at hackervalley.com, hit us up on LinkedIn, or see us live at CyberMarketingCon 2022, which will be in 
Arlington, Virginia, which is like technically DC. So I'm going to say DC. It's in DC from November 16th through 18th of this year. Get your tickets at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. See you next Wednesday. Leave us a six-star review and tell all your friends. (laughs) Thanks for joining. 